discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this planet? There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and let to be pleasure is a way that we tap down into that. Welcome everyone to the Total Liberation Podcast. I'm your host, Mexi, and I'm here with absolute fan favorites of the show, uh, Sean and Aaron, aka the Seriously Wrong Boys of the Seriously Wrong Podcast, and the newly launched Papa and Boy TV series. If you all are listening to this on the day that this airs, September 26th, today is the launch of the series. So congrats to both of you. This is so exciting, and thank you so much for being here. So... I just, you know, kind of briefly introduced your work, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners should be familiar with your stuff. If you aren't and you're listening, this this must be corrected immediately, and I'll put links in the description box below. But um, could you both maybe introduce yourselves for people who aren't familiar and give people a sense of what you do in your podcast show and also what's going on with the launch of this new TV series? Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for having us uh, first. It's really great to be here. Um, I'm Sean. This my, this is the voice of Sean. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we've been doing this podcast seriously wrong for probably about eight years now. And it's a mixture between uh, leftist uh, analysis, interviews, comedy sketches. Uh, and we try to keep it utopian, uplifting, talk about the world as it should be, um, not just how it is. Um, and uh, yeah, premiering on Means TV today is our... A cartoon show that we've spent the better part of the pandemic working on, which is called Papa and Boy. Um, and uh, it's about a mischievous boy and his well-meaning father as they navigate a completely twisted and demented political system. <laughs> um, and it's based on stuff that first started in our, our, our podcast, but we bumped it up to the cartoon realm. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for being here. I always love having you on the show. And your podcast is honestly one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Um, so if anyone hasn't listened, definitely check it out. Um, so much of what we talk about on this show is the importance of utopianism and radical creativity and just, you know, joy and fun in the movement, which um, is often really lacking. You know, there's a lot out there that's just brutally depressing critique and doomerism and it's just so important what you guys do and bringing humor to it as well is so important so yeah I would love everyone to check that out and if you have checked it out you probably are already familiar with Papa and Boy I absolutely love this series so I guess talk about the inspiration for Papa and Boy and then also its evolution because I know it's been it started out as you know like a long-running skit right and then grew into its kind of kind of its own thing so yeah talk talk about all of that yeah so we do a lot of comedy sketches on our show we like to uh kind of take a break from doing the uh non-fiction just talking about information stuff and do you know do some little voices or pretend to be little characters of some kind and be able to explore topics in that way and uh one thing that we kept returning to over and over again when trying to be okay what roles should we play what what little uh 
sketch should we make up here was, you know, one of us being a father, one of us being a son. It's kind of like an easy role play thing for us to fall into. And uh, so, yeah, it became an ongoing sketch on our show where we just found it a really kind of potent way to explore power dynamics because the parent-child power dynamic is so deeply ingrained in our lives and it's such a um, potent sort of archetypal relationship that that everyone experiences in some form or another. So yeah, over time, we kind of started giving our little papa and boy characters different names like, oh, this is the gamer boy and the non-gamer papa, etc. <laughs> and so it just sort of like expanded in the back of our minds to being this whole universe with all these different papa and boy pairs who are existing in this world. Uh, and we have sometimes experimented with doing entire episodes that are just sketches. We We did that previously in our wrong town series uh and we wanted to do something like that again and we were kind of thinking oh which of our which of our little worlds here would really work for that and we went with papa and boy yeah there was this i remember a particular moment of trying to brainstorm what it would be like to do a full-length papa and boy thing it's kind of like the, the papa and boy thing's been like this iterative evolutionary meme that's been slightly out of our control the whole time that's like it stuck with us for whatever reason. We kept on playing with it for whatever reason. And so we never would have, when we set out doing it, we never thought like, oh, eventually we'll make a cartoon show that's based on a universe where all these papas and boys live. Um, that never occurred to us at any point. But the um, that sort of like evolutionary iterative process, uh, I remember writing in my notebook, the history of all hitherto existing society is the struggle between papa and boy <laughs> and thinking about this like like this imagining this epic history of like all the boys and all the papas fighting each other and stuff like that and that was kind of the the seed from from which the papa and boy radio series came from and then later when we started talking to means tv about um, animating something for them um, they checked out that series um, and nick from means tv was like let's do this i can i can see papa and boy as a cartoon show i want to see that through um, and we were really stoked because Papa and Boy is legitimately one of our favorite sort of things that we do on the show because it's just so goofy and outrageous mm -hmm. and a place that you can just really be a little bit unhinged uh, while exploring the politics. Yeah. And it's so heartwarming, too. Like, it's I just love the the dynamics that you kind of bring about. But that's awesome. So, yeah. So for anyone who hasn't listened, you have a five part. You did you know kind of a radio theater series of it. Um, so that's available already on the podcast. Um, so I definitely recommend checking that out. And then also now you have the, the TV series, which is super rad. So I guess, you know, without giving spoilers necessarily, um, could you maybe paint a picture of how this world of Papa and boys works, um, how the, the fatherson system works and what, you know, kinds of systems of oppression you've been using this world to critique? Yeah, well, the, uh, the Fatherson system was invented by a lone moral visionary genius named Papa Fatherson, who invented the idea that you should command, control, and punish your children as a way to keep society stable. Um, and so the entire, everything about the society is sort of drenched with this logic of um, what's, sometime, what's sometimes called poisonous pedagogy, which is this idea that children are like sneaky, that they need to be manipulated, that that parents and children are in, are fighting with one another, trying to get an advantage over the other. And this is like a real 
uh, parenting style and theory um, <laughs> from from like the colonial era that's still very present in our society. Um, so like the father-son system is like capitalism. If in, if instead of being obsessed with the money aspect of capitalism, they were obsessed with the father dominating the family element of capitalism. Yeah, I think uh, the show kind of allows us to take hierarchical naturalism of sort of any form from our society and simplify it all down onto this one papa boy historical tension. Uh, so there's a certain way in which like hierarchical systems perpetuate themselves through ideological systems that naturalize the role of the oppressor and the oppressed or the the dominator and the submissive half of these roles and there there's a kind of arrogance and ridiculousness that often comes along with that whether you're talking about like racism uh, patriarchy, ableism, uh, bosses dominating workers, the rich dominating poor, class distinctions. There, there's this arrogance and sort of ridiculousness of the hierarchical naturalism where these one group of so people in society has sort of deigned to call themselves those who deserve to be on top. They're, they're better than the other people. And so th that sort of like kernel of ridiculousness is something that we really try to focus on and show through this sort of kaleidoscope of weirdness where it all gets refracted into the papa boy relationship where everyone in this society is either a papa and a boy and there's just this this common sense everywhere that's inescapable that papas are on top and boys have to listen yeah absolutely like it's simultaneously a critique of those material relations of hierarchy, but then also of the discourses that circulate and how things just get cemented into people's mind and become these common sense kind of ridiculous tropes that we all go by. But what I think is really brilliant about it is that in like taking the father son um, relationship as kind of the, you know, the critical um, conflict, I suppose it incorporates so many different aspects of oppression and I think you kind of got at this a bit in a recent podcast episode that you were doing on child liberation and you were trying to find an appropriate term for what you were talking about when you were talking about like adult supremacy and you brought up that the term patriarchy itself historically meant a father's rule over the entire family but that that encompasses multiple axes of oppression because it, it involves sexism as well as child child um, domination or whatever you want to call that. And I just find it really interesting because, um, you know, obviously throughout the entire show, there's, there's really obvious critiques of class society. So it's like, you know, the contradictions between fathers, the interests of the fathers and the interests of the sons um, is obviously, you know, kind of an allegory for class struggle throughout. But Maureen and I did a podcast a while ago on patriarchy and capitalism. And I don't know, I, I've kind of um, been thinking about the ways in which, you know, like capitalist society to me feels like a really obvious end point of just 
thousands of years of patriarchy, which includes, um, you know, oppression of uh, women and non-men, but also of children. Um, and I know that Bookchin actually says that, uh, you know, the, the oppression of adults over children is kind of the original kind of hierarchy, but then others will say it's patriarchy. And, and I think they both really go together. And yeah, just kind of continuing in, in that kind of vein of thinking of capitalism as this kind of natural endpoint of this this millennia of, of patriarchy, um, you really tackle in the show uh, like patriarchal trauma and how it's passed on. And similarly, uh, I guess I, I've been kind of just on this kick of, yeah, just thinking a lot about like patriarchy and, and how it feeds into capitalism and how it led to that. And I've been trying to develop a more kind of like trauma informed approach to total liberation. And I think when you actually look at the majority of violence that has ever happened in human societies, including the slow violence of capitalism, so much is is really wrapped up in people externalizing this kind of inherited patriarchal trauma. And people might think that sounds really abstract or extreme, but I have a few examples. So I think the most obvious example would be, you know, like the far right, um, you know, all of these groups that attract these quote unquote alienated young men. Studies upon studies show that most of them or a lot of them who get into these really kind of extremist groups have a history of patriarchal trauma, usually in childhood, like some kind of childhood abuse, usually from their dad. But, um, you know, women can also perpetuate patriarchal trauma. And then we know that that, that kind of trauma in non-men can lead them to self-harm or to express that in like hypersexuality, which also puts them in harm's way. Um, but, you know, also reading like like 1491 or uh, David... Wengro and, and David Graeber's new book and whatnot and thinking about past societies. I mean, there's just so many examples of these leaders who are these just brutal warlords um, and, uh, you know, just really power hungry. And then again, so many of them, if you look at their lives, they just experience this, this terrible patriarchal trauma. And I think that, you know, over the generations, I feel like now, um, you know, I'm hopeful because it seems like every generation we, we're tr kind of trying to undo a bit of that patriarchal trauma and not kind of replicate what our parents did or what their grandparents did or whatever. But I feel like it's taken us millennia to get here and like patriarchy is just such a, a strong, um, has been such a strong force in all of this violence. So that was really long winded, but I'm just wondering, you know, what what you think about all these connections um, and how you really are using the show to kind of get at the implications of patriarchy, which I think run really deep. Yeah, it was kind of a, that, that through line or that, that aspect to, to Papa and boy and like the father relationships. It was, it was like a really an emergent thing out of that sort of process we described of, First, we're joking around, pretending we're father and son, and then we're building this world. And then, but then, but you're building a society that is like the father society. And it's, it becomes really clear, you know, the patriarchy relates to fatherhood, or like the patriarchal family relates to the idea of the power within uh, fatherhood. And one of the things that we found while like working on the show is like there's such a surprising amount of uh, terminology and words in our society that also relate to this like to be a patriot uh, it's the same root word as patriarchy um like um there's like and there's just dozens of examples like that so yeah and as it relates to trauma and development i think that has been a it's been an interest of of aaron and i for a long time um on the show um it's like how 
you know, how early childhood experiences affect people throughout their lives, um, the unique responsibilities that we have towards children in those contexts. Um, and naturally, when you're approaching something that relates to generations, generational war, or the, this intergenerational conflict, um, things kind of come up about how this has been passed on and how you know, the, the, the father is reenacting what happened to, to him as a child onto his own child. Uh, and it's, the system is perpetuating itself through this sort of um, recurring pattern uh, where people are shaped by society to recreate others in the shape of the society. Um, like, and generally we try to, when we're writing the show, we're thinking about like how to make each scene funny and what's making us laugh. But this stuff keeps on popping up while we're doing it. Like, we, we <laughs> I don't think any of the episodes we approach, like, we have this point to make and we need to, like, really make sure this episode perfectly makes this point. It's just, like, all these points are kind of inherent when you start playing with this space. And, like, the things that we find funny about this space is, like, the the ignorance, the, the sort of barbarism of, of the, the fathers to not be able to even see what they're doing and have this common sense. Um, but there's all these places where it naturally starts stepping into like our own experiences um of society and like yeah like how how patriarchal trauma is pushed on to people um as when they're kids and then they perpetuate that as they grow older um is definitely like i don't know an ongoing through line of both in the radio series and and in the show i think yeah i think that uh one thing that's become more and more clear to us not just through doing papa and boy but through looking into a whole bunch of different topics for our podcast series is that there's like really deep ties between all these different systems of oppression and you were talking about uh how bookchin says that uh the first the first hierarchy was that of the old dominating over the young uh and that other people will say that it's patriarchy uh and that you were saying that current capitalist society seems like a really natural endpoint to sort of patriarchal systems and patriarchal logic. Um, and when we were doing an episode recently on ableism, we were noticing how much how many patriarchal assumptions or ageist assumptions against young kids and old people uh, are related to ableist assumptions or um, racist assumptions are related related to ableist assumptions or how uh, often non-white people and women are infantilized they're they're treated like children so the dominance of adults over children is used to justify the dominance of men over women or white people over others and it's kind of it's kind of become clear to us how there, there's a common logic to all these things, to all these hierarchical systems, that some are born to rule over others. It's the same thing as feudalism, uh, where there's kings and lords and they have a natural place above the serfs. And whereas in modern society, that's been kind of transported onto there are the wealthy and they earned it and they deserve it. They sort of naturally get to have power over everyone else. So, uh, yeah, I just really agree with what you're saying that when you have a system that's really based on creating these little 
systems of hierarchy all throughout society. There's there's going to be a father who rules over his wife and his children in every household, and then they'll all go to work where there's kind of like a father of the workplace ruling over all the workers, and then you have a father of the country, whether that's the, the dictator or uh, the unelected oligarchic powerful few however it works there's these natural nested hierarchies all throughout society uh, i think the society that we live in now is absolutely a result of that logic being spread across generations because then you have like parents who want to prepare your, their children to live in this society as best they can so they're they're teaching them like this is how the world works this is how things are uh, and the kids you know might rebel against that initially or may maybe some people rebel against it for their whole lives but it it's really hard for kids to not take on that logic for themselves and then replicate it again in the next generations mm -hmm. well especially if like as as you show in the show if it's perpetuated through violence right because if it's well this is just the way things are because it's the way it's always been because this is what happened to me and i suffered so you must suffer um then you know even if the children aren't taking it on, if you enforce that through, you know, violence or some kind of consequence, then of course they're going to be kind of beat into submission, which is also, I think, similar to patriarchy in that, um, you know, if if men collectively know that they are they they can be physically dominant over their their wives, then they can use that as again, like, well, if they don't fall in line, then we'll just get violent, right? And then we'll create laws that sanction that violence and and whatnot. So, yeah, I just think there's so much wrapped up in this, and um, it was really cool hearing that your pro like you don't your your process is more to just like play. I think that's really cool. Um, as opposed to like coming up with these, because these are really complex ideas, right? So I guess it makes sense that um, these things are more so just emerging, you know, as you're playing, as opposed to you going in there with like, oh, here's all the here's all the tensions we wanna we wanna outline, you know? Yeah, definitely. It, it has been like a process of play uh, through through the whole process, really. Um, I, yeah, and I wouldn't have thought to say it that way, but it's totally true. Um, and yeah, and th there's so much. There's a lot of really interesting stuff um, in this sphere, like philosophically, when it relates to the domination of children and the way that the domination of children is used to naturalize the idea of domination and the way that all these things connect together. Um, but yeah, th those sort of reads of the show um, are there. They are very like an emergent product of really just goofing around with the idea of being a father and son in a society entirely inhabited by fathers and sons. Um, it, it yeah it really it really has been a a process um of play and 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 because of that too sometimes we kind of explore there's some ambiguities i really like like you mentioned earlier that the um that there's like a, a kind of sweetness to the show also there's some tenderness to the show as mm -hmm. well um and that was something that again i think it's a product of playing around with this stuff and like what what it's fun to try out what what hats to wear at different times um but it's also true of the Fatherson system, um, and um, you know, as a, in 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 many contexts across other like oppressive contexts as well, like the the Fatherson system, it is this really brutal, hierarchical, cruel thing um, that has this commonsensical logic that enforces, punishes, uses the threat of punishment and violence to enforce itself as a common sense, and it's uh, like it's it's contemptible and in, in a very 
blatant way. But then also at the same time, it's kind of held together paradoxically by these kind of moments of tenderness. Like we found, we were really fascinated by this idea that the reason that the boy was going along with the father in the original radio series was that he felt bad for him. It wasn't that he believed anything <laughs> mm -hmm. about the system. It was just like, oh, my poor old dad, like he really believes this crap. And like, I'm, I don't want to let him down. And like, I think those, those kind of like micro decisions that come from places of, so like the, the system is ostensibly very cold and heartless and it, it, it carries itself out that way, but it's still held together by this glue of humanity, um, like kind of patchworking how broken the system is in the first place. And that, that's something that's really, that, that kind of thing is something that we kind of came up with by joking around. But then when it, when it, emerged we were like oh that's really interesting or that's really funny and then we mm -hmm. explore and follow that yeah and similarly i mean yeah it's, it's obviously very clear that the father's and son's system itself is contemptible and terrible and, and brutal and oppressive um but then you'll have you know individual fathers who then um you know come off as really sympathetic or um just really kind of funny stuff around how uh father son who created this system is like uh, you know, any error that you might experience is necessarily user error. And then these dads being like, oh, gee, I, I guess I really messed up, right? But even like outside of that, you have these moments. And I think in, in the series and in, the, in the, the TV series as well, um, you'll have these moments where it's like, you know, the father is obviously wrapped up in this this horrid system, but then at home, in so many ways, um, he might be kind of going against what we would typically think of as a real, a real patriarchal dad, you know, being really um, tender and loving to his kid and just really wanting to, you know, enjoy a bath with him or enjoy this or that and then getting really sad if his, his boy doesn't want to hug him or, or you know, whatever. Um, and so you you kind of have that, that tension between like the individuals in the system kind of being swept up in it but still maintaining their humanity which i think is also really really lovely yeah i think it's really important to show people in these hierarchical systems still maintaining their humanity because i think that's how it works in the real world and how you prevent it from i mean obviously the show is a parody like it's it's goofy through and through but uh if if every single papa was always just complete avatars of the system i think there's less that we can relate to in the real world mm -hmm. about that because even i think the most patriarchal like man's man person whatever in our current society today uh, still has emotions still has a desire for human connection uh, beyond merely being the boss of their little family or whatever yeah it's i yeah i think it is true to life in that way yeah, and people are middle managers, like people people are enforcers of these systems that first brutalize them, first abridge their humanity. And we wanted like we wanted people to like Papa in the show. Um like an obvious and he does stuff that like if you think about someone actually doing it, you're like, holy shit, that's like a horrible thing to do. Like that's a horrible thing to say to a child. Um but at the same time, like he, he himself is a traumatized child who just happens to be mm -hmm. grown up enough to continue participating in this. And like he he breaks the rules of the father-son system. That's a little spoiler, but he, he doesn't follow the father-son system exactly. He's concerned with how he's being perceived. And I feel like this this is all very reflective, I think, of the way that like often it's it's not that every parent in the world is 
extremely, you know, uh, coercive and threatening to their children. It's that the general logic is pointed that way. So even for the vast majority of, of parents who I think are really just trying to do their best and are m oriented towards the well-being of children as sincerely as they can, there's all of this background noise in society and assumptions and economic pressures and all of that that brings out this kind of like father's inside uh, of parenting um, in, in people. Um, and yeah, that kind of that tension, I think, is really interesting. And, and we, we, we like the, those ambiguous spaces and we find those ambiguous spaces often funniest to play into. So we wanted uh, we wanted the dad, we wanted Papa to be uh, a, an asshole who is enforcing a horrible system. But also we want people to, to cheer for everyone in the show. You also mentioned the point about uh, it necessarily coming down to violence a lot of the time in order to enforce these things. Like uh, there's a, in, a term we use for hierarchy or a definition of hierarchy is uh, command and control relationships under the threat of punishment. Um, and like those apply within all of these sort of nested systems of hierarchy. So you have each boy in the Papa boy relationship who is uh, under the threat of punishment from their father for not doing what they're supposed to do. That's how the system's supposed to function. The Papas punish the boys if they do the wrong thing, and then they're supposed to start doing the right thing from there. But if the boys really don't behave and start making bigger society-wide problems, that can come down on the papa who's going to be punished from the larger fatherson system as a whole. So the papas are also scared of this sort of larger societal punishment and they're taking out those fears on the boy. It's kind of like letting the shit roll downhill, uh, which fits into what yeah Sean was mentioning about middle management and like the, the, the way we have all these nested hierarchies in our society where yeah, shit rolls mm -hmm. downhill. Yeah, and then it also kind of offers space for the papas to be kind of pitiful as well, you know. Um, yeah, and I like right. I like how you mentioned that they they are these traumatized children that have just grown up, you know. And I think that's that's really clear. And I think that that just really underscores the importance of having this kind of trauma informed understanding of our society and of the violence that happens within it. But yeah, so I guess kind of. Um, playing off of that that kind of space of ambiguity in terms of the critiques of class society i really appreciate that throughout both the radio show and the tv series there's an implicit critique in there about the different tactics and the propaganda used on both sides even though obviously we're you know maybe more sympathetic to the boys or maybe we think that their tactics are maybe more justified. <laughs> but for example, in the podcast series uh, and, and the TV series, actually, there's, you know, the boys start to maybe understand that they could resist. Um, and uh, they there's, you know, a group kind of forming. And although we obviously support them um, in, you know, the podcast, this group holds up one particular boy as this real martyr of the cause and they twist his words in order to create propaganda for their side, which really jeopardizes the allegiance of people in the movement. Um, but they also then, you know, try to move to limit the boys' exposure to other media, you know. So there's a lot of things that are questionable that are done uh, on the side of this, the quote-unquote good side, right? Which I think is obviously really important to to highlight. But I guess, yeah, I just wanted to ask about 
um, and maybe this again came came about through play, but you know how you chose to frame the choices and the actions of each side, and and what you think people can take away from this in in terms of you know conversations around means and ends. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's um, there's a way in which that I I, I mean I guess it, it comes down to the phrase of you can't use the master's tools to i forget the exact phrasing to to unbuild master's Dismantle the master's house yeah <clears throat> but what yeah. which when it applies to the real tools actually incidentally isn't true <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe not the best phrase um but it can be really tempting i think a lot of the time especially when you've been raised in one particular society with one particular way of doing things to imagine yourself flipping the script and oppressing the rich people or whatever, taking the rich people down and, and making them all work in the shit mines or something and laugh as they get cancer or whatever. It's, it's like, it's a fun fantasy, but like if what we want to build is an equal society where everybody has a say, uh, I think the focus needs to be on that and on building that and then not just taking down those who are on top, um, which is going to have to be part of it in some form or another, but, but taking them down for what reason and through what methods uh, so that what you have after that is actually something that's better, something that you want to live in, uh, a society that takes a fundamentally different approach to, to the current system and hasn't just changed who the, who the masters are. Yeah. It, it, it's always I, in first storytelling for me, at least I, I always enjoy the more ambiguous. Um, like if we made boy cult perfectly good with, and nothing, it goes off without a hitch. Um, that, that could be a type of story to tell. And, but I, I, I really like, I think we really like playing in that space of there's internal tensions within boy cult as well. Like there, just because someone joins boy cult doesn't mean that they come to have perfect ideas. Um, and like the fatherson system is like evil, uh, and the boys are right to reject it. But then the the, the ideology of the fatherson system has impacted them their entire lives, and they're now in a place where they're in control for themselves. Um, and it's not. There's we we don't want to both sides or be like oh that both sides are bad here or something like that but we do want to explore like for example the like you mentioned the the death words the martyrdom thing we th that came out of playing and it was so something so interesting and fun about it to us that there was this there was this boy who became this icon of the boy cult movement and that the leaders of boy cult were inventing his, his last words as like a propaganda exercise. Um, and then, but also the fathers and system, they do the same thing with another, another martyr at another point. Um, and like that, there's just something so funny about people lying and the, it, it, it's kind of the, the comedy style that we're really exploring on the show is like giving the audience all this knowledge and then watching people just lie through their teeth to each other and have these ironic things happen as a result of this web of lies. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like you know, maybe uh, critical critical support for boy cult and and resisting having information flow freely because it's during wartime and you know it's essential that they need to keep morale high, keep the soldier focused on the real enemy, and so on. Um, and uh, maybe maybe. Uh, 
you know, it's it's obviously it's not as bad as uh, some of the things that the Fatherson Society does, um, but it's mm-hmm. I don't know. In, in my, I I prefer all information to everyone. Uh, that's like my my ethical mm-hmm. preference around these kind of things. Um, so yeah, it's just it's fun fun to explore and like even if the if the fight against Fatherson was ever won by Boy Cult, then there would still be more tension to unpack and explore like if boy cult somehow emerged victorious that wouldn't mean that a utopia is instantly created it would be the start of a new process Mm -hmm. yeah especially because yeah i mean obviously so many of these boys are also traumatized and then you know then externalizing their trauma in different ways and often replicating like what the the fathers are doing um but yeah i just i think it's um again just to kind of really brilliant how all these pieces kind of fit together and i think just again like really shows how important it is that um you are showing the kind of layers to the fatherson system and the middle management and you know having fathers themselves be um these kind of complex people that are sometimes uh you know, sympathetic, sometimes just pitiful and whatnot. Um, And you have a line that the liberation of the fathers is tied up with the liberation of the boys. And I really love that um, because I think it kind of takes us away from this really easy narrative of like good versus evil. Because I think that then kind of gives people this idea that like, yeah, well, if I'm on the side of good, then anything that I do is justified and anything that I do uh, is coming from a place of righteousness and therefore you know i don't have to think about whether i'm now perpetuating patriarchal trauma that can harm me or can harm everyone in the society that i'm creating right so yeah i just i really do love the way that you kind of play with with those tensions because um yeah i think too often uh it's just not really there. And I think a lot of, you know, the, the memification of like leftist discourse does really present stuff in that kind of, these are the bad guys and whatever happens to them, like, fuck it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's something cathartic about um, people like expressing really real frustrations in the world with that kind of stuff. And like, it can be a, a cathartic thing to, um think about uh cruelty and stuff like that but actually one of the way one of the things that first raised the red flag about that uh for for me as a trend um is the way that it affects children um in in two ways which is in the first way there's young leftists young left-wingers online um who are participating in like these discourse cycles and um, they're let's say youth not children but youth you know people below the age of 18 who are um still learning of some of the life metagame and they need good role models um they need uh people who are going to share information with them uh that they need and they're going to encourage them to uh develop themselves and learn things in responsible ways towards beneficial ends and so on um so i've i've had a concern for a while with um some of the meme internet stuff which like I'm not trying to police it or anything, but like that, that I think it's a good thing to be conscious of the impact you're having on other people around you. And like, if you're, if you're making it a norm to be cool by saying things online, which could make uh, police show up at your house, um, that's not a kind of 
good example to set for our young comrades who have a lot of work to do ahead of them mm -hmm. um, to save the world. And then the other thing along those lines, too, is that if we take, um, you know, the, the, the revolutionist bloodthirst um, as a sincere thing that needs to be put out onto the actual world, um, then it creates... It, it's it's a prescription for scenarios where uh, children and the the caregivers of children uh, could be placed within contexts that are like uh, violent wars or civil wars or like I, I I and I think that we should remain conscious of um, when we're imagining a transition to a much better society, which we definitely need uh, and we definitely should be thinking about. The, the mode of transition that we take to that society is going to affect children uh, while it's underway and also when we're there. So, um, yeah, that, that, I don't know, I get, I'm a little self-conscious. Like, I don't want to, again, police people or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. There's a, there's a bunch of different reasons why people are, are comforted by this sort of zero-sum thinking and this, this uh, very harsh rhetorical style. Um, but... Ultimately, like when I think about what we should be doing for the transformation of society, um, I think for a variety of reasons, at least two of which directly impact children, um, we should aim to have an approach that is um, uh, that's tender, that, that, that's tender. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, too. And you, you mentioned the line, uh, the liberation of the papas is tied up in the liberation of the boys. Uh, and that that also came from there, there's a strand throughout all of this stuff of recognizing that the Fatherson system, while it's ostensibly built around papas ruling over boys, it ultimately really doesn't serve the papas either, at least not as well as it could be serving them. And I think that is mirrored in current day society where even like our society now where some people get to be rich and have access to far more resources than they need to survive while other people go without the society actually isn't serving them the best that it possibly could either mm -hmm. um and i think there's no like more clear example of that than climate change where we all live on this one planet and share an ecosystem there's no borders between carbon and the atmosphere and the effects that that's going to have your gated community isn't going to keep that out you might be able to insulate yourself from it longer with your wealth but if things keep going the way they're going it's going to be bad for everybody uh, and i think on even a more subtle level than that living in a society where you have to constantly fear that your wealth is going to be taken away and uh you know funding the state and the military in order to constantly keep the masses down i don't think that's as good for you as living in a society where everybody is fundamentally equal, where we make sure that everybody has access to what they need and where we make decisions together collectively for the benefit of everyone. I think that kind of system would be better for rich people and poor people. Uh, I think a non-patriarchal system would be better for men and for women. Uh, it applies, I think, throughout all of these different systems of hierarchy that uh, even the people they ostensibly benefit, it actually isn't the best for them. And they're holding on to their power because of their fear uh, and their indoctrination and their trauma. But 
they need to be liberated as well. And like, it's not to say both sides that like the oppressors are just as oppressed as the people they're oppressing. Uh, but uh, ultimately these systems don't benefit anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a great point. Um, yeah. There's, there's so many examples of that, as you mentioned. And I mean, even just for rich people, we know that so many of them are, terribly depressed um and that there's a lot of like you know psychosocial uh harmful things that happen to them psychologically as well um when you get that level of wealth and then are are that separate from the rest of society um it's just really bizarre um but yeah i mean patriarchy is a great example as well um so yeah i really do love how that's really really brought out in the show um and it's something that I think, yeah, we, we should think about more, I guess, and when, when we are thinking about our own tactics and moving towards this broader society of not just the, the this punitive way of getting there, but of thinking about everyone's liberation as being bound up together. And like, what would it take to heal the people who are currently holding on to their power and, you know, externalizing their own trauma in terrible ways? <laughs> um I guess I also wanted to talk about uh, child liberation because you've been doing a whole series of episodes recently about that and about adult supremacy and how the ways in which we force children to learn subservience, both at home and in school, again, just contributes to maintaining the, the status quo and really doesn't empower people to be critical or creative thinkers who can adequately resist injustice. And um, I announced this on Patreon, but I don't think I've announced it on this platform yet. <laughs> I did announce it in a video as well, but I am actually pregnant, <laughs> um, as you both know. <laughs> Congratulations again. Um, yes, thank you. Um, but, you know, uh, there's only a, a few months left until my partner and I welcome our our new child into the world. And so this is something that, you know, I'm I'm really thinking about. It's really important to me to think about how to engage with my future children um, and treat them as full people um, and, you know, really arm them with the tools that they need to be critical thinkers and to do do good in the world, but without imposing necessarily my will or my beliefs on them um, or passing on any of the, the patriarchal trauma that I've internalized. Um, and that I'm, you know, working, <laughs> working out myself. So yeah, I guess, you know, when, when did you two really get interested in this subject? And um, I guess you've been talking a bit about it throughout, but you know, you know, why you, why do you feel so passionately about bringing this um, hierarchy in particular to light for everyone? I guess, especially since it's one that I think not that many people talk about. Yeah. I, I, for a long time on our show, I think even in our first like handful of episodes we we had had some interest in child development and just in the way that society lets children down um it, it's it's something that um yeah i don't I've, I've always enjoyed spending time around children like i've liked babysitting cousins and stuff like that um, i had a little sister growing up that i was like 10 years older than um so i had uh, I, i've seen a lot of instances in real life and had instances in my life that i remember where either children were let down or, or I was let down by adult authorities at times in my life when like, I can just see clearly with, with the 2020 hindsight that if, if someone had been there to guide me in the right way, it would have been really, really uh, beneficial. Um, 
but like ov- overall, like we know that the the early childhood years are the most important years in the development of human beings. Um, they impact people for the rest of their lives. Um, and th- there is very little discussion on that and like how to create a society that really takes those early years seriously. So yeah, we've had that interest for a long time and we've started uh, actually m- mostly since since actually writing this this series, we've been doing investigations into, you know, writings on youth liberation, ideas around like ageism, gerontocracy, uh, mazepity, um, the hatred of children. And it's a really rich, rich area of analysis. Like there's lots of really fascinating ideas that come come through it. And it tie, it's tied so intimately to our lives as children, but it's also like tied... Uh, intimately to our lives if we choose to be parents um and the 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 impacts on society are just so immensely consequential and it's also the place where hierarchy is most naturalized where the the most anywhere in the world if you're like is command and control under the threat of punishment justified here the the largest area that people are going to say yes it is justified is parent-child relationships um because of you know sort of the unique vulnerability of children the requirement to to guide and steward them as they grow up um so yeah it's a it's a very very um potent interesting area and and, and i think we sort of feel like the 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 society that we want to create should have a certain a, a, a new reverence towards childhood a new reverence towards children um and to not denigrate and take childishness like less seriously, but instead treat it as a very serious part of the complementary whole of humanity. Um, it's like it's it's as if we're um, it's, it's it's like adults, um, not in the fatherson system, but in real life, are kind of like at war with their own childishness. That they're like ashamed, uh, they're embarrassed that they might be children, even though they're adults. It's like when a toddler says, "I'm not a baby." Um, but like, there's this ideology of like being grown up. So like adults are embarrassed to play. They're embarrassed to be caught, not already knowing something, which is another way of saying being caught learning. Um, they're embarrassed to have interests in like, whether that's, uh, you know, model trains or movies or whatever it is. They're embarrassed to feel lonely or feel strong emotions. Um, like these are all things that are associated with childishness. And then people are embarrassed that they have that in them. Um, whether you want to call it childishness or not, these are all things that everyone experiences and has in them. Um, and they're things that are uh, best exemplified by children. Um, so we have people have this weird emotional baggage about being embarrassed to be a kid, even though they're already an adult. It's like overcompensating, like, don't worry about it. You're, you're 40, man. Like you don't have to worry about being a kid. Um, but there, there is this sincere embarrassment, I think. Um, and I think that that embarrassment is part of the reason why we don't take, uh, the 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 rights and place of children in society seriously. Yeah, I think for me, uh, like Sean was saying, we've been talking about these things for a long time, and I like two major strains or issues that kind of brought the rights of children to the forefront for me and my sort of political development was number one thinking about the spanking of children and how normalized and naturalized that is and how something that would be assault if you did it to any other adult is just seen as like 
completely okay to do to another person who is so much smaller than you and completely under your control. Yeah, uh, because they're smaller and weaker than you and under your control, <laughs> then it's okay to assault them. Yeah, and and it's also justified with all these things like, well, that you you have to keep them safe. To, so like they, the, you know, if you don't spank them they might touch the hot stove or run out into the street and it's like really like you like i understand that children go through a period of development starting with knowing you know literally nothing and then very quickly learning many things about the world uh, but i feel like there's ways to teach them the things they need to know that don't necessarily involve violence and i think that it comes from parents being afraid or like not knowing how to do what they need to do in any other way but the the sort of reflexive way that people justified it always just like mystified me and i think uh, another major part of it was school and my own experience in schools and feeling like schools were kind of a joke and like yeah they were teaching us some things but like also seeing how many people they were failing and just how unfair and ridiculous it was that you have to like ask permission to go to the bathroom and that you can be denied a drink of water because your teacher feels like it would be inconvenient to them to have to re-explain something to you that you missed if you were out during their lesson for five minutes. There's all these ways in which society just kind of treats children like garbage. And I think that the way people uh, naturalize it is that we all kind of grow out of it and then you justify it as being like, well, it's something that ends and then you become an adult and then you can eat craft dinner whenever you want and go to the bathroom whenever you want, uh, unless your boss says no, but that that's a different thing. Um, so I think part of the reason it really interests us is, yeah, particularly because so few people talk about it and because of how naturalized it is uh, and because of those like sort of more interesting questions there of the development of kids over time and how uh, their abilities or lack of abilities at various stages are used to justify um, dominating over them. Yeah, absolutely. I I really credit academia for um, you know killing so much of the creativity that I had. And Sean, what you're what you're talking about in terms of uh, you know adults l learning to be embarrassed about kind of the things that could be considered quote unquote childish about them. I mean, I really, really felt that there, there was just no room for the kind of creativity that I, I feel like I, I had as a child and I loved, you know, expressing myself in different ways and being artistic and, um, you know, being funny and whatever. And there was just no space for that in, in academic writing. And, um, just the kind of imposter syndrome that it imposed on me just made me, I, yeah, I feel like really killed a lot of the, courage I had to take take risks um and to be more kind of creative in, in myself and um break out of the kind of standardized molds. Um but I, I was thinking as you were talking that um I feel like a lot of this uh, is also a problem on the left. Like I can see a lot of ways that the left um and leftist movements also fail children um and parents. <laughs> um because I know that something that a lot of you know my my feminist comrades talk about is that um there's often not 
adequate supports for parents at, uh, you know, rallies or in movement spaces or whatever, you know, there's no childcare available. Um, you know, the meetings are usually, I don't know, late or something when, um, if you're a parent, you can't really make it or, um, a lot, maybe a lot of like demonstrations are not really like kind of family friendly or whatever, you know, um, and I think in so many ways, we also kind of infantilize people who have ideas that could be considered childish, like like utopianism, right, um, is often considered just really um, childish and naive and, and having hope and having actually even radical creativity and breaking out of, um, you know, trying to think of different ways to approach things that aren't the same ways that revolutionaries have always approached them it can also be considered childish and foolish and um you know just signal to people that you aren't a, a real leftist <laughs> you know and i just feel like um there's a lot i think on the left that we can and should be doing to, to think more about these things as well definitely yeah well child care for for meetings and stuff like that it's really really important there's all these economic pressures on parents already and so to to the highest degree possible like organizing spaces i think we've got a real responsibility to try to um accommodate people with different needs um and you know uh, that includes um uh, accommodating uh people who live with disabilities and also uh, accommodating people who uh, are in the process of raising children really really important stuff to like have um uh, supportive spaces for that kind of stuff um and as it as it applies on the left um i think yeah i, I think it applies everywhere um and the I, there's something absurd to me about like there there is a very self serious sort of strain of 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 leftism that uh i i think we we could train ourselves to find more amusing and we might benefit from from being able to find it more amusing instead of like but what's happening is i think that people are um re like the this the sort of a good extreme example is like the the quote unquote the patriotic socialists the the like <laughs> yeah. um the tough guy uh tough guy conservative Hashtag mega communism yeah mega com yeah they're they're reenacting childhood trauma uh like by trying to prove to themselves that they're serious um and trying to prove to themselves like there is there's there's definitely some like childhood trauma being reenacted with that kind of thing and it's not just them it's it's i think a lot of people do it to a lot of degrees of like yeah being serious and uh looking down on other people um calling calling things you know serious or or unserious i never read i've never read the word unserious until i joined the online left um, <laughs> um, but yeah, well, we have this disdain for child childishness imprinted on us in childhood. Like even the word childish is a term of derision. It's like child is a neutral term, right? It shouldn't be a term of derision. Uh, but we have this, the sense of disdain for childishness imprinted on us. And then, um, even, even if we come to the right conclusions on many other issues, um, we we still have this this imprint and background and how we conceive about things unless we really try to consciously uh take a look at it um i i i kind of tend to think that like the child could be the 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 revolutionary uh subject uh, like the child the child could be a map for what we would want to when we look at these things or like you know uh willingness to to learn to to play uh, having interests, having strong emotions, 
being part of community, like these, these are all, and like the desire to connect, these are all great things in children that we, sh we should actually be amplifying uh, within our political movements. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't like that sort of stuff when it comes up among, uh, among leftists uh, either. I think that we, we should play and, and be a bit silly and just be human um, and embrace being ourselves um, instead of trying to be this like rigid, radical, um, like I'm as I'm, I'm as I'm as radical as possible and serious and tough as possible. Um, I don't really think mm -hmm. I don't think that's actually reflective of like the, the quote unquote history of revolutionary movements or whatever. Um, I don't think that that actually reflects what people um, actually lived like. I don't think that reflects what it takes for political success. Um, I think being being human is a much better strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to end on uh, maybe a more positive note. So um, I've been thinking about kind of shifts that I've been seeing um, in terms of kind of breaking some of these cycles. And uh, as a pregnant person, I've been kind of just consuming all the information that I could possibly consume. Um, I don't know if either of you have heard of um, gentle parenting, um, but it's really uh i mean it's really gaining ground it's it's very you know kind of mainstream i guess people could think of it as kind of like a liberal kind of thing but um it's basically an attempt to address some of the the issues um you know people understanding more and more that you know yeah spanking actually isn't productive um and acknowledging more and more the research around extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation and the fact that extrinsic motivation or basically punishment or reward um, isn't really effective and leads to you know a whole host of other problems so the idea is that there is no punishment or reward but it's still it's still disciplinary I guess because it's um you know it's it's trying to uh better treat children uh, as full human beings or respect them more as equals um, and validate their emotions, but then kind of point them towards, well, just because you're feeling a big, a big emotion doesn't mean that you can necessarily, you know, hit somebody. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's kind of like a, a mainstream thing, but I guess I'm, I'm definitely heartened to see so many people kind of gravitating to this and, and at least acknowledging um, all of the harms that the way that, you know, we have historically parented in this really patriarchal way is so incredibly harmful um, and kind of moving towards this more tender approach um, and a more kind of like gender neutral approach as well. Um, and trying to help kids to understand their emotions and validate them as opposed to just suppressing them or, you know, whatever, just turning to violence. So that's, I mean, I guess something that happens just individually, like in individual households. Um, but I still think that moving in that direction could do, do some, you know, a, a lot of good actually in kind of working to break these kind of cycles of patriarchal trauma that then perpetuate more violence and the status quo so yeah i was wondering um you know if you both have been seeing or if if you're at all heartened by any shifts that you're seeing you know or are do you see people who are kind of moving to break the chains here and um i guess maybe on a, a broader societal level like where where do you think that you'd like to see changes happening in terms of um, child liberation in particular 
uh, what one thing I thought of when um, uh, reading the questions you sent us for this was um, thinking about we we recently just did an episode on the way that uh, think of the children narratives get weaponized by hierarchical power structures to uh, come down really hard uh, currently on like trans and gay kids uh, but in the past on um, black kids or other non-white kids or girls or uh, it, it's it's a constant throughout history the way these narratives are weaponized uh, against progress mo- movements that are happening and in one sense it's like a really depressing topic to delve into and a really disheartening topic to delve into Um, but at the same time when I think about even the most recent sort of groomer panic about you know teachers telling kids that it's okay to be gay and trans or using trans kids proper pronouns uh, and the recent semi-recent panic about critical race theory in schools that's still also kind of going underneath the surface um Part of the reason there's been such strong pushback on those things in recent years is because there's also been a lot of progress and change in what kids are being taught about these hierarchical systems. And, you know, uh, when I think back to what I was taught in school, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, when I was in elementary school, about being gay and trans, which was absolutely nothing, uh, to seeing some of the curriculums and things that are being put forward now in these truly accepting classroom environments, these like really brave teachers who are putting up pride flags and stuff, even when they're getting shit for it online or getting the entire conservative uh, meme network devoted to trying to get them fired and whatnot. Um, I find that stuff really heartening because even though it's become a battleground and that uh, can feel really scary. Uh, the sort of basis for that battleground, the, the wins that have been put into place already and that people are fighting to maintain, uh, are legitimately like beautiful. Like when I imagine small children who are kind of coming into their realizations of being gay or trans, being in classrooms with teachers, they know support them, uh, and it going to having some of that now to from having none of it 20 or 30 years ago, uh, I do find that really heartening. And it is a battle and we have to keep fighting it. But I think on a lot of these sort of hierarchical issues, uh, accurate education about the world, uh, sort of like deconstructing a lot of those ideological assumptions from the past is going to be one of the biggest ways that we can break those sort of intergenerational chains of oppression uh, and uh, just raising kids who have more consciousness about these issues and so therefore more ability to continue dismantling them in the future. Yeah, I know a lot of people now, I know a lot of cool people who are having kids now, uh, but we're, we're, I feel like we're really early on in the experiment. Most of most of the people of my age cohort, I was born in the early 90s. Most of my friends are like starting to have kids now. Um, so, but I, I'm really optimistic about all of their abilities to parent. Like, I'm optimistic about your ability to parent, Mexi. I think that you're going to do a great job. Thank you. Because um, well, because <laughs> you're 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 thinking about it. Like, you actually like you you're going to be thinking about it. Um, and I think that that's that's more than half the battle. Um, like our 
when I when I think of what I've seen in terms of like child rearing techniques as a kid, um, and like, but also thinking about like with the sort of child rearing techniques that my parents faced and my grandparents faced, um, like I don't think there's a linear teleology towards better and better parenting going on here but for the last generation a couple generations in my family at least as far as i can tell it basically might as well be a linear progression towards uh teleological <laughs> mm-hmm. better t- teleologically better parenting um and like something i'm kind of heartened by is to see how despite various issues that i have with my parents like anyone has n- nothing severe um, like I can really, really see how strongly they improved on the generation before them. And but that's with no shade to my grandparents. Um, they were also existing in a context, uh, where there's these external forces and stuff. Um, but it, 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 it really does seem to me like I was given a much, um, a much more caring and, and tender childhood than, than my dad was. Um, and I would like to give a much more tender and caring childhood to the next generation. Um, And like, I'm not, I'm not ready to make a prediction that the world is getting fixed. Um, But it is, it is heartening to, to know that um, my case is probably not the only case like that. I think there's a lot of cases like that where Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what the future will hold in general, but I do think that more people are having these conversations now um, than I've ever seen before. Um, and that thinking about it and trying to participate in it and sincerely, like really, really trying to learn and think about it as best you can and apply it as best you can. Um, I I think the early childhood years of kids who have parents who are very thoughtful and conscious about that kind of stuff because of the access of information they have are going to get a big benefit from that. So that, that is a really positive, positive thing. And also there's more, uh, talk about childcare now and there's there's issues with childcare as a political platform to basically part of the reason that it gets success in mainstream political circles is because it allows it frees up more workforce which is a mixed bag it's a bad reason to support it (laughs) but it's a good thing to support and like parental leave for parents i know that i think in the u.s there's like none uh and in canada it's brutally bad just like really i was I just learned recently what it's like, and it's just, it's not very good at all. It's not enough money to raise yourself, let alone a child. But the fact that the daycare and support for parents is getting more political uh, currency, I think is a really good thing. And like, I think um, right now in Canada, there's like a rollout over the next however many years towards cheaper and cheaper childcare. Um, and I think that is like massively, massively beneficial to families. So that's a heartening development too, even though it's inadequate and administered through um you know social democrats at best (laughs) yeah for sure i find all of that that heartening and yeah i mean definitely uh, so myself like uh, most of the jobs i'm doing right now are contracts so i'm not going to get maternity leave so i'm going to basically just go on what they call ei maternity but it's basically just ei i I don't know what the difference is and it only lasts for eight months and it's 55 percent of what you uh were making um so I don't I don't even know how they're going to calculate that. So yeah, I mean obviously I'm I'm glad that that exists, but I, there's there's some definite room for improvement. Um, but I agree that these issues to me seem to have gotten a lot more political purchase in the last few years, um, and that is really really heartening. There's also like a, a greater recognition I think 
among parents and among, you know, certain school boards that things like homework, you know, aren't actually beneficial, right? So we're kind of slowly moving away from the way that things have quote unquote always been that we all know are messed up, but that, you know, it, it was never really acknowledged publicly that they were. Um, so yeah, I find, I find all of this really heartening. So. Yeah. Well, I think children are in a interesting position and predicament in society right now. They're inheriting a world that's falling apart and it's on fire. Um, and we're expecting them to sort of take on the reins and fix the world in the future. Um, that's mm-hmm. a, a fascinating and horrifying existential crisis that children in particular face uh, more than any of us um, uh, who are older. uh, I mean, we all face it, but children in particular face it and and children will continually face it. Um, The new, the next generation will always face it more and more um, until it's dealt with. Um, And children are uh, denigrated casually in society. They're, uh, uh, their parents have the legal right to mistreat them to a very high degree without being intervened with. Um, children, uh, the, the things that make children children are denigra- denigrated through terms like childish, um, and that, that denigration carries over into how adults consider and see themselves in the world. Um, this self-conscious, uh, self-hating childism against adults or misepity against adults. Um, then causes those adults to like not prioritize the political well-being of children because they're embarrassed they might be children themselves. And then hierarchical society uses the notion of parents having dominance of command and control over their children as a hierarchical naturalist argument for all other sorts of hierarchical domination. Um, And society lets children down and uh, we should instead honor children, try to move forward with tenderness, create a society that is directly democratic, ecological, where people get their needs met, uh, where parents get to spend time with their children and where children get everything they need. Um, and uh, I'm just trying to summarize everything at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think the, ch- the, the, the child thing is it's, it's interesting, the way it applies to everything else, the way it's all interconnected. Um, it's sort of something we stumbled onto while we were just playing around, but, um, I think there's something to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. And yeah, you're right. I mean, putting, you know, some, some people think that, oh yeah, the next generation, like they have to be the ones to bring about the revolution, you know? And it's like, what, what pressure is that? I definitely don't want my child growing up thinking that like, this is all on their shoulders. Um, because I also feel like that's partly because, you know, we aren't acting, um, necessarily as as much or as fast as we could be right we're we're not um, being inspiring children enough all adults no. and all yeah. and elders too should take on the role of being the inspiring child standing up for the future we've got yeah. to turn this narrative on its head absolutely absolutely well thank you so much for coming on i've absolutely loved this conversation i think all of the listeners will as well and congrats again on your show um do you want to shout out where people can find it and then more generally find your work yeah uh yeah thank you so much for for having us on um and for the great conversation first but uh yeah you can find you can sign up for means tv at means.tv slash join it's ten dollars a month streaming service there's some great documentaries on there um, some great there's a week uh, daily news show a bunch of uh, funny comedies like ours uh, so check it out work our own streaming service Mexi's on there too yep um 
And our podcast, you can find at seriouslywrong.com, S-R-S-L-Y, uh, wrong. Uh, but we're also on all the major podcast services, um, Patreon, et cetera, yada, yada. Um, so, uh, yeah, check out our show. We've got a five-part Papa and Boy uh, radio drama, which uh, we think is really fun. Um, uh, but maybe uh, check it out on Means TV. Yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, thank you again for having us on. It's been awesome. Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you so much to new patrons Anwar, Raven Enigma, Corton, and Paprik. This is a fully listener-funded show, so if you would like to support it, please go to patreon.com slash totalliberation. You can join our Discord server where we hold bi-monthly political chats, which are always a blast. So thanks again, everyone, and I will see you in the next one.